holy sweet mother of God shit. Hello, hello, hello. What, what, the, what the hell are you doing? I hope no one's eating dinner. The next best thing, every Monday night from 10 until midnight on Radio Free Brooklyn. Fun for everyone except for dear Jesus. Something like that. Well now, wasn't that just delightful? No, this is not how I always talk, but I'm talking like it now because it just felt fitting after that lovely little ditty. God fucking damn it. <laughs> this is my real voice, motherfucker. I just do think it's important to remind people that, so the Chiefs, yes, they've been very good the past four to five years. They've won two Super Bowls. They've been in three of the last four. And for all we know, they may be very good for the next handful of years to come. It's very unpredictable. There's no guarantee of that. People always talk about Patrick Mahomes. Oh, my God. By the time all is said and done, how many, thing, how many rings do you think I'll have? Seven, eight, 20? Who knows? You, no one knows. That is completely unpredictable. Yes, he's very good. But guess what, folks? It's a team sport. Travis Kelsey, his primary weapon, is 33 years old, turning 34 soon. That's like 100 in football years. So the Super Bowl window, all that shit, you never know how long that's going to last. So my point is, for anyone who gets sick of the Chiefs, I just want you to remember one thing. The only other professional sports team, the only other real professional sports team that we have in Kansas City are the Royals. The Royals had two great years. I'm sure a lot of you New Yorkers remember it because 2015, the Mets had a great year too. They got to the World Series and lost to my Royals. But let me point something out. The Royals, as we sit here right now, are 12 and 30. 12 wins, 30 losses. It's May 15th. We're not even two months into the season. Dear God in heaven above. They are so bad, it hurts. We, they are so bad, it hurts, folks. So be happy for Kansas City that at least they have something. At least they have one good team. I'm tired of the clown show. I don't understand. If Major League Baseball wants... This is such, you know, they've gone so far out of their way, bent over backwards to change rules, to change the game, to try and make it appeal to more people, to younger people. Here's an idea. Invoke a salary cap like the NFL does. That's why teams like mine, the Royals, the, the Chiefs, are able because it, it's, not, it's never about money. It's never about money. It's all about roster construction, how well you develop players, how well you draft players, how well you can strategize and put together a team and then coach them up, make them better, put all of their attributes on display, put all of their liabilities on the down low, really hide them. That's called coaching. That's called strategy. That's called being smart sportsmen. But with baseball, it's all about the money. 
The Royals had two good years. I'm th- I'm going to admit this. This is probably the first time I've ever admit this, so get ready. I'm 35 years old. That's old, folks. That is old. I get it. I know you're probably older, and so I apologize, but I feel old. The point is this. I'm 35 years old. Guess how many times I've seen the Royals make the playoffs? Twice! What? 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 Two times. Twice. That's it. And it was recently. It was in 2014 and 2015. They haven't been back since. They haven't even really come close. I think if baseball gave a shit about parody, then a salary cap or some kind of something invoking some policy, some strategy to level the playing field would do them a lot of good. Listen, folks, we're going to take a quick break. I have to cut the news short because I have a special guest for you tonight, Um, a guest who's joining me to discuss the ongoing, unbelievably endless Adderall shortage. My guest tonight is Snijana Kostornova. She was featured in an article in the New York Times about this very issue. We had an excellent conversation about our experiences dealing with and navigating with the ongoing Adderall shortage as two people who actually do rely on the medication. And I think it will be enlightening to hear our points of view. So stay tuned for that. You're listening to The Next Best Thing on Radio Free Brooklyn, and we will be right back. Radio Free Brooklyn is a 501c3 nonprofit organization whose mission is to provide a free and open platform to our community and promote media literacy, education, and free expression. We rely primarily on donations from listeners like you. So, if you'd like to support our mission so we can continue to bring you quality community radio, we invite you to make a one-time donation or monthly pledge at radiofreebrooklyn.org/donate. You can donate as little as a dollar, and every cent helps helps us to continue to stay on the air. So please, please help support independent community media by pledging whatever you can afford. And remember, RFB is a 501c3 nonprofit, so your contribution is tax deductible to the fullest extent of the law. Again, that's RadioFreeBrooklyn.org slash donate. This is the next best thing. All right. We've talked a lot on the show about the seemingly endless national shortage of Adderall a medication used to treat narcolepsy, but also much more commonly used to treat ADHD. The New York Times printed a piece about it last November with the headline, Amid the Adderall Shortage, People with ADHD Face Withdrawal and Despair. I found that headline actually pretty fascinating. Um, It's unique among the various news stories that have been about it. And I think it's, I actually think it more accurately captures kind of the impact this whole thing is having on people, but we'll get to that in a bit. In the piece, they talk to a wide variety of people uh, who have been affected. Uh, one of them is Snijana Castronova, a psychology student from Florida who joins me now. Uh, thanks so much for being on the show. I do appreciate it. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm very happy to be here. Uh, so for a little background, do you mind telling us just kind of when you were diagnosed with ADHD, kind of what that assessment and diagnosis process was like and how long you've been prescribed Adderall? Yes. So I was actually diagnosed later in life. Um, I was about 28 years old when I was diagnosed um, by a an amazing psychiatrist who was also my psychotherapist. Um, it took, I would say it took us about four months 
before he officially diagnosed me. And it took, um, I think we first started off with one medication and then, which didn't really work as well for me. It was, it was okay. And then we went straight to Adderall and that was like a night and day difference for my life. Um, so, you know, a, a couple of things I would love to mention, you know, uh, you know, especially like women, uh, they kind of, they seem to get diagnosed a little bit later in life as well, um, or underdiagnosed. And it's funny because I was struggling. I think, I think I knew something was different or maybe, you know, wrong, I guess you could say, um, as early as like elementary school. But it seems like I was always, you know, like, you know, I was like the quiet one or I was really well behaved or they kind of like listed me as, you know, maybe she had a difficult time with English, for example. So they would put me into um, more tutoring for English. Um, when in reality, I just wasn't paying attention, you know, or they would say, well, she's more of a daydreamer. She's very creative when, again, it was, you know, the ADHD. And growing up, um, I was still struggling with this. But of course, like, I didn't know what was going on. So it just like pushed myself very hard. Um, and one of the main things that I had as well was that I had constant migraines. Um, I was getting about maybe four to five migraines a week. Sometimes they would last about 10 days. Hmm. Uh, and I went to multiple, I mean, I did physical therapy. I did, you know, a chiropractor. I did, of course, I was on medication. I saw a neurologist. I had an MRI. Like, like we did all of the things to try to figure out what was the cause of it and nothing seemed to work. So I was just like heavily dependent on migraine medication. Um, and it was really affecting my life. And one of the things that changed was that as soon as we started taking Adderall, my migraines went away and we found out the migraines were a symptom of the undiagnosed ADHD. Oh, wow. So, I don't think I'd heard that before. Yeah. Yes, yes, I am. I, you know, it was like a fun, it was fantastic first that, you know, I kind of find that out. And my doctor at the time, he told me that he has heard of things like that before happening as well. So I think that's like a, not something that's really talked about as much um, mm -hmm. of how like Adderall can also be used to treat these kind of things because, you know, migraines uh, could be because of, you know, possibly the overstimulation and, you know, right. from the ADHD. Totally. No, yeah. And so I'm glad, yeah, that's interesting. That's fascinating to hear about. And I ask, I ask about that because so I was diagnosed as like, I think 15 or 16 at 15 or 16. And it was just mm -hmm. this, I mean, that process was, you know, of going to, you know, going to the doctor and doing the assessments and taking the tests and yeah. all that stuff. It was a real, you know, process. And it was like, it was, um, I guess I, I guess I ask about it because one factor we hear a lot about is that uh, one factor we hear is contributing to this shortage that we're currently dealing with is kind of the massive increase in Adderall prescriptions in recent years and how perhaps mm -hmm. a lot of people, uh, a lot of people who are taking it maybe don't really need it. So maybe they're taking it recreationally. And I know, I mean, I, I know that when I was in college and really even still to this day, I, you know, I'll hear people, friends of mine talk and maybe even joke about how, oh, they have such ADHD and some of them actually do take Adderall and not like, and I know they don't need it. Um, yes. <laughs> and, and it's just, it was even back then, it was always, it always kind of bothered me only because, you know, 
for them to just flippantly say, you know, oh gosh, I have such ADHD. Like I, I can't even tell you, like I, just like you were saying, you know, in school, my teachers, my teachers were kind of baffled by me when I was like in, you know, elementary and middle school. Cause they'd always say, you know, he, he gets along well with his classmates and he's contributes mm-hmm. in class and he's smart, but like, I just, you know, why doesn't he do well on tests? And it was just because once I got home, I was relieved the school was over and I didn't want to do homework. I mean, like I couldn't sit down and focus. Yes. And so like yes. knowing, knowing that that's real, like that in, in the difference it makes, it does, you know, it puts a different kind of filter on hearing people just be like, oh gosh, I have ADHD, I need Adderall, and then getting it. <laughs> yes, and you know, there's a couple of things I want to say about that. You know, I, I, for me, um, I think grow, growing up, I had a, an idea of what I thought Adderall was. Um, and I think I had the same, like, internalized stigma against it as well, because I didn't know. <laughs> didn't know. And right. I, and I didn't, I wasn't diagnosed with um, anything. So, you know, I think that when people start saying, well, what about all like the overdiagnosis, the potential of being overdiagnosed, um, you know, it's interesting because I think, you know, after the pandemic, you had a lot of people that were working from home. And I think one of the key things I think people should think about is that, you know, if you're going from a nine to five and a psychiatrist is only available from nine to five on the weekdays, most likely that person is probably not going to seek uh, the care that they need to try to get assessed in the first place. Um, so all of a sudden you have people working from home and they are utilizing, you know, the computer for meetings and for work. And so it's only natural that you're going to try to maybe see a doctor via telehealth. Um, and you also have the time to do it now, you know, because maybe you can take your work from home and you can even see somebody in person if that's a possibility. So I think that that, that has allowed people to really, who maybe didn't have time or the resources to try to get diagnosed, to have the ability to finally find that time. And I think another thing that I noticed within myself was that I did really well at work and I did really well in um, I mean, of course, it was to my detriment, right, because I would burn myself to the ground. But and then I would look at my home life and I would see that I would comp- like I would be perfectionist at work and I'd go home and everything is just in chaos. And one of the things that I realized is that it's because you had external factors that were, you know, kind of contributing to this like uh, pressure to do well. But when you go home, you don't have that. So if you're starting from a nine to five and you have your boss and you have your colleagues and you have a strict schedule and you have to worry about traffic, you know, so you you have like stressors that kind of keep you um, in line. And then you take that and you put a person at home who doesn't have that and they have this like all of a sudden this freedom and independence. Um, And then all of a sudden you're going to notice that you're not doing the same kind of work that maybe you were doing in the office. And I think that's where maybe some people are saying, okay, well, maybe something is wrong and I should get checked. Um, So I think that there's some contributing factors like that that has allowed for the increase of people being Mm -hmm. diagnosed with ADHD. Um, But I think that that's something that the FDA should look into, right? Because if they have like a limit for how much we can produce the medication, they need to really look at how many people are being actively diagnosed um, and then 
change that limit based on that diagnosis because we have other variables right now that are causing, you know, for people to finally being able to, you know, advocate for their health. Mm -hmm. Um, On the other hand, though, in terms of, I love that you mentioned, you know, people who, like they, they jo- almost like they joke around about having ADHD. And I actually had this recently happen uh, with a couple of friends. It's not just one, it was a couple of friends. And they'd be like, you know, I really think I have ADHD. Like I've, I've noticed that I like lately, I haven't been paying attention to people talking to me. And, and it's like, well, that's natural. Like you get stressed yeah. out and these things will happen. But for me, it felt like I had like early onset Alzheimer's. <laughs> like I would be driving uh, down the highway and I would forget where I was going and I couldn't remember where I was going and I didn't put it in my GPS before I left the house. So I'm just driving at this point until I could figure it out, you know, or like I would put, you know, something I said uh, in the New York Times piece as well as like, you know, I will go to wash something, uh, in the sink and I would plug the sink to fill it with water. And while I'm getting soap in the other room, I will already lose my way and start doing five other things. And by the time I get back, my bathroom's flooded. And I've Mm -hmm. done this multiple times. So like things like this, you know, Um, and I think that there are, you know, we're all human. We all have like human characteristics, human symptoms, especially if you're stressed out, you're going to have similar experiences, but it's when it's becoming like maladaptive and starting to really affect your life, your social life, your work life, your, you know, um, person, like, it, when it starts bleeding into like that and affecting your physical well-being, your emotional well-being, your financial well-being, that's when I start, you know, saying, okay, there's like a major difference, right? And mm-hmm. I don't think that people truly understand what ADHD means. Um, and that's why it's so easy for a lot of people to like casually throw it around that they could possibly have it. Right. But I do think, well, and that's, and it's interesting too, because I, I agree. I mean, we'll get to the whole FDA and the, you know, like limits and quotas and stuff they have, you know, mm-hmm. I have feelings about that. But at the same time, I also, I do recognize that like, you know, you mentioned you, I think went and saw your doctor for four months or so before you guys landed on um, mm-hmm. a, a prescription or Adderall. I, you know, I went through that vigorous assessment well, for however long it took. I do know people who will go on ZocDoc, book an appointment with a doctor yes. they've never seen mm-hmm. before. Uh, yes. go in once and get a prescription. And I, I think that, you know, I think that is too easy. <laughs> yes, I agree. hundred, yes, hundred percent. And I'm I, absolutely like, I think there was even, um, even like during the pandemic, I saw a lot of like, for example, like on, on social media, a lot of pop-ups on this very specific, I forgot the name of it. It was like a specific, like mm. online teledoc that was doing only Adderall prescriptions. But I remember like looking into it before I saw my psychiatrist and um, it was like, I, I can't remember. I think it was like around $400, one hour assessment, and then you get prescription. And I thought that that was very, um, I thought it was dangerous, right? Drug because, dealer. That sounds like a drug deal. <laughs> exactly, exactly, exactly. And, but they were, but they were like, uh, I don't know if it was a licensed, like telehealth doctors they were just giving this like i'm sure they were just giving a questionnaire and the thing is is that adhd could be like a symptom of there could be something else going on at play right one hour is not enough to diagnose somebody with with adhd it could be you know we we share like similar symptoms to things like 
you know, autism or things like, you know, how many times have I been diagnosed with like uh, uh, anxiety disorder, for example, and the anxiety was just this was caused by the undiagnosed ADHD, right? So there's like other things that could be at play. And I just don't think that one hour or two hours or one week is enough. I think it's important for people to be patient with Mm -hmm. themselves when getting diagnosed, Um, allow your doctor to really like sit with you and have these conversations and let them take their time with their diagnosis and be weary. Yeah, it's also mm-hmm. incumbent on the doctors. They shouldn't be giving prescriptions yes, out in yes. one sitting. Um, Absolutely. And especially, and I guess, you know, I think, like, I've always thought this, but I think it's more kind of pronounced now because when we're having this seemingly endless national shortage and we hear about, you know, limits on how many pills they can literally make, well, then you do start mm-hmm. thinking about all these people who are just getting it for party drugs. And it's like, well, what the hell? You know. Oh, I know, I know. Yeah, especially these a lot of like university students. Um, mm-hmm. a lot of you know, I'm sure there's like your average lawyer businessman that has their connections. You know, the and the and the finances to get it. You know, uh, it's very interesting to me how it. I I do think that because it's such an important medication that could be used to treat like important things like you mentioned narcolepsy like you know um Mm -hmm. obviously adhd which can be quite debilitating for a person um i think it's important that you know i I know that they are cracking down on these like online you know prescription services like this that are just giving out these things but yeah i i i do think that it needs to have like a certain time of how long it takes to diagnose a person that's my you know and i'm sure like there's somebody that's going to say absolutely not but you know i just think like you owe it to yourself and the doctor you know and and it's also important to like develop a good doctor patient relationship and give it time with that person so that you can receive also therapy with mm-hmm. this diagnosis to understand what it means to have this versus just like okay here's your medication this <laughs> right. is how many times you take it and go out into the world and do your best you know yeah exactly um totally okay so now let's get to the actual the shortage so they say it officially started last october i think they only say mm-hmm. that because that's when the fda officially recognized it right. um mm-hmm. when now i know that like so intermittently throughout like the 17 or however many years I've been prescribed, you know, every now and then it would, you'd, I'd run into like, oh, it's on back order or something. Um, that would happen every now and then, but not, not, it was never a big problem. When did you first start to feel the impact of this current crisis? Like you couldn't fill your prescription? Yes. So after I got diagnosed, I was on the medication for probably a good year, maybe year and a half. Um, and then I started seeing the I started hearing rumors first of all um I think months before uh October I can't exactly remember where but it was a couple months before you like maybe even August I started hearing rumors about it um I was not able to fill my prescription oh my gosh I, I it's been half a year already for me oh, um, oh you still have well, I got lucky at one time because like I am when I say like I was looking for it, I mean I did my due diligence. Like yeah. my doctor and I we would sit in um we would sit in the you know, after therapy would sit together and he would call pharmacies with me 
And we would just like be on, you know, just to try to find who has or who doesn't. We would, uh, he would put in an order and then we would be playing like Russian roulette basically with it. So I would, you know, I would take off time sometimes from like on my break from work. I would go to different pharmacies and ask them if they had it. And then same thing with school. Like I have like one day off. And then, you know, because I'm in school, I'm at work, and then I have one day off, and I would draw, I would make like a list of pharmacies in the area, and I would try to call them, but that, you know, it got to the point where you couldn't even get through to speak to a person. They would just put you on hold forever. Mm-hmm. And I was driving to multiple pharmacies all over like an area and asking, and it would take me half a day or all day until I got so exhausted, I would stop and then I would pick it up again the next day, right. you know, and it was, it, it was like that for a couple months before I really just gave up at one point. Um, mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, like, you know, I, I, you know, because it was becoming so time consuming, I wasn't able to do, I'm already struggling to do basic things. So, mm-hmm. you know, it was becoming so time consuming um, that I had to just stop. And I, ended up, you know, emailing my professors, they encouraged me to, um, to register with the school resource, you know, for the Disability Resource Center, which was a godsend, honestly, I, that was my first time doing it. Uh, and I was really nervous about how it would work. But it was, they were just so great. And it was really encouraging, very helpful. And then just kind of like, dealt with the therapy to try to get through it. And then finally, um, there was a, like a rumor that you know, I think it was last month, um, my doctor told me that the hospital that, you know, where I received my therapy, um, that they had some in stock. And he's like, I can put a prescription. And I said, please do like put as much as you can. And he put in um, for a couple months. And I went to pick it up. And it cost me almost $200 for that prescription. Um, And then after that, they've been sold out since and they've been completely empty since then. And he's been trying to you know, put my prescription into different areas since, and I have not been able to get it anywhere. So I have like an emergency bottle, but I've been having to, at this point, um, like (laughs) cut them up and try to save it for a rainy day or an important day, try not to use it, you know, and it's it's been difficult having to do that because we still don't have information. Like we still don't know what's going on. Um, I thought that this would be resolved by March. Well, at least sure they they were say, i mean they've been saying yeah i mean like yeah, well actually i'm gonna hold off because we'll get to that um are you talking about kind of where we are now here presently um I, I guess i see i actually especially in retrospect i can see that i was lucky there for a while because i was feeling my prescription you know just pretty fun i mean i actually felt like i was getting on a nice kind of roll of finally like i found a pharmacy that reliably had it and like it wasn't an issue and all this stuff and so i was feeling it fine you know last august september october and november but then in december that's when it really that's when it really hit and it has just been a nightmare ever since and i mean like it's just constant because like it used to be where if you run into a back order situation, okay, so you, you have to spend a few days, you know, finding a pharmacy that has it. Um, it's also been further kind of, you know, there's another hurdle that's been added because back in the day, you know, you go to the doctor's appointment, you get a, a hard copy of a written prescription, and then I can go to pharmacy mm-hmm. one, two, three, four, five. Now, because it's all mostly virtual and they're calling these prescriptions in, now it's oh, like, it's just, an, I mean, it's like, 
because you got to, okay, send it to this pharmacy. Oh, they don't have it. I got to call my doctor, tell them they didn't have it. We're going to send it to another one. So my doctor is now saying like, listen, find one that has it and call us. And like, yes, I, yes. I get that because like, obviously he, they can't spend all day doing that for everybody. But at the same time, most pharmacies won't tell you if they have it. Like, cause they're, I don't exactly. know if they're not, I don't know if they're really, some will say they're not allowed to, some will say they just, you know, can't, some just won't respond. Um, it's just a nightmare. And um, I do want to play. So this is where um, this software is going to be tested here because typically on the show, you know, it's all inner, it's all kind of consolidated into one uh, soundboard, but I'm going to play just a clip from this one. This is from, I think the PBS news hour. And it's just a clip mm -hmm. of some various people talking about their experiences and what it's been like trying to get the prescription filled and ultimately not being able to. So uh, we'll take a listen and, and then talk about it on the other side. Okay, perfect. I'm Elaine Pesinski Thomas. I am. Can you hear that okay? Yeah. Okay. I live in Madison, Wisconsin. I thought for sure this little snafu that they were having at our pharmacy was going to be fine. I didn't know that it was like national shortage. So, and it was gone. I live in Brooklyn, New York, and I am. A freelance fashion designer. I take my medication to literally just function. Being what society would consider a normal person. So that means I need my medication to do my laundry. I need my medication um, to complete my task. I need my medication to work. I need my medication just to get out of bed and shower and feed my cat. My name is Katie Slater, and I live in Kansas, and I am a stay-at-home mom. You have to um, almost pharmacy shop and to see who has the supply, this, the right dosage, the right supplies. And that definitely is hard because it looks bad. The pharmacy does. Okay, so that's just a few of them. Um, but I think, it, you know, they're all, you know, different walks of life, different parts of the country. Um, and you do hear, you know, the first voice you heard, you know, she was like, I didn't think it was a big deal. I thought it was just a one time thing. The second voice, though, was saying that she needs it to get out of bed. Now, yes, it just kind of shows the range of this. But I, people, I don't think people realize, even people like who, if, you know, they trust that you really do have ADHD and I, it's just that phrase right there is frustrating that that's kind of a mm -hmm. stigma, but the fact it's like, they think that, okay, you don't have it. So you might just be a little distractible for a, a little while. No, I mean, like it's much more than that. Um, and the times actually, and they're in the piece that you were in as well, they did a good job too. So they, they talked to people from all walks of life. You know, there was a 48 year old process technician, I think, in Massachusetts, a 24-year-old guy who's in Vegas, works at a financial services company. How did they know to contact you? So what, how's this, like, what's the story of how you got involved? It, it, you know, it's so funny. Um, I was having absolute meltdowns um, in my psychiatrist's office, like just, just like, <laughs> meltdowns and I remember saying uh how I just wanted everyone to know what was going on and I ended up going home that night and just like with this anger and this all these emotions just like this feeling of intense injustice and I made a throwaway reddit account 
and uh-huh. I went on the ADHD like you know forum and I just said what I wanted to say and then I had a New York Times uh, reporter reach out to me on that throwaway account and at first I was like I don't know if this is real but you know what I am gonna I'm gonna do it I don't care like I was just so angry and I, I wanted to everyone I was like if I'm gonna say I want everyone to know and this mm-hmm. is um it was really scary too because I actually never told anybody uh, only my closest family and friends that I had ADHD um, because I was so afraid about how I was going to be perceived because, you know, I, I mean, I am in school and I have uh, an incredible grade point average. I mean, I study and work so hard. Um, and again, it's to the detriment of other things, right? Because you're sacrificing other things in order to, it's like you're robbing Peter to pay Paul um, when it, when you're not on the medication. And, um, and you know, I was afraid of my, like, what would happen with job opportunity, like everything. I was just afraid of everything. But the the feeling was so intense that I just had to say something. And, you know, I ended up agreeing to do the article. And, um, and I'm really happy I did because it has allowed me to kind of embrace the fact that, A, this is, first of all, this is never going away. Like, you're, this is a you know, this is a, a brain thing. Like it's never going to stop. It's never going to, you know, I'm not going to outgrow it one day. This is just right. me. This is my life. This is my body. This is how it's going to be. And, um, you know, and in terms of like the medication, I didn't realize just how bad I was before the medication. Um, and then after, so one year on medication and then stopping the medication, uh, it was, like I would have, I would just have breakdowns when I would study um, mm-hmm. because I couldn't, I would read, I would have like a final, for example, I had a final in, in, in a week's time and I reread the one chapter like four times and I don't remember anything I just read because at the same time I'm reading like a page, I'm thinking about something else and then mm-hmm. I have like like, I don't know, like a random song playing in my head or something like that, you know, mm-hmm. and there were times where I would be sleeping and I'm dead asleep. And I, and it's like somebody's turned on an alarm clock, but the alarm clock is my head. It's like my brain. And I would have like a song start playing and I wake up wide awake and I'm just already overwhelmed. And it became like, you know, doing the dishes became incredibly overwhelming. Um, getting out of bed was overwhelming. I mean, doing the laundry is overwhelming. I have to do so many little shortcuts and tasks. And I didn't realize how much I was operating on like on E for my entire life. Mm-hmm. Um, and now I have all these like systems in place to try to kind of combat, you know, the lack of medication, but it was such a night and day difference um, that I, I don't know. I'm, I'm incredibly happy that I did the article. I'm incredibly happy that they went out and said something about it mm-hmm. uh, because it's kind of allowed me to just, you know, become more vocal. And now I can't stop talking about it. I'm trying to tell everybody. But even then, even then, I'm telling everyone at work, everyone at school, everyone I meet, I'm just trying to educate and trying to inform. And even then, I still get the same responses and the same, and it's like the same stigma and it's the things that you just spoke about. And it's incredibly frustrating. It's incredibly frustrating. Um, Yeah. yeah. Even from, even from pharmacists, in fact, maybe even more, maybe even more so from pharmacists. Yes. I'm glad you said that. You know, the times I was looking for the medication, you know, I would get like, like they were irritated with me. 
totally. for asking. Like I would get sighs. I'd get like, oh my God, like, no, I don't have it. When do you know where you have not? I don't know. And you know what the funny thing is? I would, so my prescription would be uh, brought, like filled um, or sent to the pharmacist. And I would go to the pharmacy and like, we don't have it. And I'm like, well, what do you have? You, um, you know, my, my doctor like sent in five milligrams, but do you have 10 milligrams or do you have extended release or regular? Do you have a, uh, uh, do you have the generic version available? Do you have another version? They refuse to tell you, they refuse no. to tell you. And I think that's so frustrating. Like, why is it like such a, is, like gatekeeping or something? Like, why is it so secretive? It's just a medication. It's right. medicine for me, you know? Well, that's the thing. And that's the thing. And I try, and honestly, and I try to keep, you know, take a step back and try and, you know, see it from both sides or whatever. And when I think to myself, okay, so from their point of view, okay, we've got this, this portion of people who are in college or just taking this because they like it and don't really need it. So when you mix those people in, plus those who really do need it, now there's a shortage. So this tons of people are probably asking i try and be understanding but at the same time like i resent like if i go in and ask something yeah. like that and they roll their eyes or whatever i resent like i totally resent that it's it's you yeah. to make them feel like well okay so that actually brings you so one of the guys featured in that times article um i think his name was michael Keneally, um and he said part of his story that just totally resonated with me and you know i think it described how he was pacing outside of a CVS and hadn't been able to fill his prescription in like, you know, a month. And I, I have the quote here, it said, quote, Mr. Keneally had been on the medication to treat attention ADHD for 25 years. Quote, I've been on it so long that it's difficult to function without it. That day at the pharmacy was the first time he felt like a drug addict, though. He said, what am yes. I doing here? Uh, he remembered thinking as he looped back and forth in front of the glass doors, Though he was finally able to fill his prescription after switching to mail delivery, Mr. Keneally wonders every month whether there will be another delay. Now, everything about that just resonates with me like crazy. You know, that the weird stigma, almost judgment one feels from the pharmacists, the inability to really function without the medication you've been on for, in my case, like 16 years. And of course, mm -hmm. the overwhelming sense of dread every time mm -hmm. it, you know we got to fill a prescription to be you know full disclosure i have a doctor's appointment tomorrow so i have a doctor's appointment mm -hmm. tomorrow yeah yeah i have a doctor's appointment tomorrow so i actually started the search for a pharmacy yesterday and i still haven't found one so so i'm totally so that it's just and that's constant and it's like i hate it's like it's just miserable you know like i actually the most recent situation was so i got my full prescription filled like on uh, i don't know let's say a february 4th um got lucky so then on no 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 uh what uh maybe in late january yeah it was january like 24th or something so then on february 24th when it's time for refill you know i start calling around i start looking i look everywhere blah 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 I mean, it is just nowhere, nowhere could do it. Like it was nowhere. No one had enough. No one had like anything. So what I had to end up doing was I found one pharmacy that had literally a fraction of like my act, like it was the right, uh, it was right milligrams, but it was like, you know, maybe 
a quarter of the number of pills and I just had to do it. So it was one week's worth. So that, so it really just kind of extended, you know, the like looking process. And it's just, this is constant. This is, yeah. And this is just how it always is. Um, and that's become the norm and it's just miserable. Has, have you kind of, you know, I know you said you have kind of a safe or like a rainy day fund right now, but do you even, do you think about when that runs out like you're going to have to start all over again? Yes. God, yes. I actually was having anxiety about it um, today even because I, you know, I'm looking at my medication. First of all, I want to say like, oh, you know, and I'm not the only one that's saying this, but like my medication doesn't feel like my old medication. Um, mm. So, I mean, I, by good can't be choosers, I guess, like cause something is better than nothing at this point. But, you know, it's, it's hard, like, it's, it's not as, I don't know, it's not working as well, I guess I could say. But, you know, I, I am, I am really worried because I genuinely thought that by March, this would be resolved. I'm like, okay, I can handle, but imagine, imagine like in six months, like I'm supposed to be, I like, I extended my application for, for grad school because I just couldn't, I couldn't, I, I needed more time. I needed time to clean up from the six months of not having the medication. I needed time mm -hmm. to stabilize. Like I needed, I needed a moment. So I extended and time is coming up where, you know, I need to start putting in all this, you know, start doing all this work. And this is heavy work. It's a lot of planning, mm -hmm. um, a lot of paperwork, a lot of essays, you know, and I am worried that this is going to continue. And it's like, okay, well, if I, put in the application and I get accepted, um, am I going to crash and burn once I get to the program? Because I'm not able to, you know, you know, it's like how much is too much. Mm -hmm. And, um, and, and, you know, and about the, the feeling of dread too, you know, I still struggle with taking up my medication on a good day. Like even like when I first started getting it, I kind of felt like I had to, uh, look nice when I would go to the pharmacist. So that means like dressing up a little nice there, making sure I look presentable because I was so afraid of being, not that it matters, but it, at the same time, I just hated the feeling mm -hmm. of trying to pick up my prescription and then they kind of look at you and you're like, I wonder what they're thinking. I wonder if they <laughs> think it's fake or if mm -hmm. they think I'm just a you know, student trying to get by, you know, and it's like, right. I hate that feeling. Um, and then now it's like, it's almost like you're, like I would whisper, you know what I would do? I would like whisper or I would write down the name and with a question mark, I mean, do you have this? Cause I was afraid to say like Adderall out loud, you know, because <laughs> I was so, I don't know what about it that made me feel embarrassed, but now on top of it, on top of it, I've had people in my personal life, um, and this is multiple people. One of the things that I got a lot was I was saying, um, you know, okay, like I stopped the medication because I don't have the medication and I'm really having a hard time functioning. And we're talking about six months later after not having the medication and people would tell me, well, do you think it's because you're addicted to the medication and now you're withdrawing? And I'm like, nobody withdraws for six months, mm -hmm. even on the worst medication. You're not going to be, first of all, no, that's not how it works. Like, do you withdraw if you don't take insulin? Like what kind of, it's not a, that's not the same thing. Mm -hmm. You know, it's symptoms of a, you know, of a disorder coming up because you don't have your medication. It's not withdrawal because of, you know what I'm saying? 
And I would get that a lot. And I would get questions like, well, isn't Adderall addicting? <laughs> I'm like, well, is heart medication, is are antidepressants addicting? Like, you're supposed to take them. You're, it's not an addictive, it's, it's helpful because it stabilizes you. It's not, you know, and so it's so interesting to me to hear people's perspective of, of the medication and just mm-hmm. how how much stigma is involved with the medication. Um, and it, it does, it adds to this feeling of dread. And then on top of it, you're like, yeah, it feels like pharmacy shopping. You're going from this pharmacy to this pharmacy, to this, you know, and some of them, I had one like give me a clue one time. They're like, well, if you go up this street and look at the pharmacies up the street, I think one of them will have it. And I like had to go through every pharmacy on it. I'm like, I, I can't, you know, and yeah. it's, it feels bad. It doesn't feel good. It's like I'm supposed to be productive and do other things. And here I am like looking for my medication. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It just, and, and how do you feel about like, so you said, yeah, I mean, like you say that you expected it to be resolved by March. I thought, it, I thought surely it would, you know, kind of resolve by January. I thought at the start, because I know that I knew that there were yearly limits on the, exactly the, yes yes <laughs> and so i thought surely by january you know because it's going to be a fresh you know a fresh start they get the everyone everyone starts at zero and so, so i can't believe uh-huh. that this is still going on and it is like you know how do you i guess let's talk a little bit about what is or really isn't being done about the shortage like what so you know the reasons they've been giving for it manufacturing delays and the increase in prescriptions manufacturing delays i always questioned that but at this point i could yeah, just call complete bullshit <laughs> because yeah absolutely well because they're even saying like even the same people who said that originally are now saying that those manufacturing delays have been resolved so it's kind of like so what is the problem i mean like if I know, like I've read all the articles, I know that, you know, they have limits on how many they can literally manufacture, but like, you know, this has been going on for six months. I, I just don't understand. It's like, if this, if this was a heart medication, like you mentioned, and I know there are differences, like, because people don't, like certain people don't abuse heart medications. That's, that's a key difference, but that doesn't negate, negate all the people that actually do need it. If this was a heart exactly. medication or insulin, I don't think this would just be allowed to drag on for six months. So it's kind of like you've got this like this mixture of like dread and despair, but also anger. Like, why isn't it not resolved? I mean, do you can you relate to that? Uh, absolutely. Like, I had so many questions because I, I thought the same thing actually. I I was thinking like, okay, January come January, maybe give it like ten days, right? Mm-hmm. And then I thought that the they were just like ready to ship, ready to, you know, whatever, and things would get better or at least like start getting better. Um, I cannot for the life of me wrap my head around what would be the issue here. Because, I mean, is it an ingredient issue? You know what I'm saying? It's like, is, is that the issue or is it a, it can't be a labor issue because how, I'm not understanding that. Like, is it a political issue? You know, I know that like we use um, like Adderall is like with Lativa, which is, you know, it's overseas. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like, is this like a political situation? Is this a contract situation? Is this a, yeah, the fact is, is that we don't have any information. There isn't any transparency over this. And it's like, 
just give us information. Like, I, I can be patient if you give me actual information, like a fact that I can stick with. Um, but having nothing has and being like left in the dark and like even if you go on the website there i don't think there's any information on there like well, no, i don't know most, most, most of them most of them indicate that it's been like resolved or or it's either been resolved or like it's not a big problem to begin with i mean like i have to assume like i don't think it's an ingredient i i my thought is it's simply that you know during covid the number of prescriptions went way up um and those kind of limits stayed the same so they just kind of ran like it's just they they have a limit on how much they can make that limit was hit way before they anticipated and that's it you know what i mean like and i don't so i'm not yeah. entirely sure why that would still be so much of a stranglehold but my thing is it's like okay and i've read somewhere where it's like you know the dea sets those limits based on data from like two or three years past so oh, wow. so like the number of the prescriptions that they used to maybe set the limits for let's say 2022 were like 2018 and 19 not the covid years meaning oh so that's obviously going to be completely skewed and not yeah. like relevant my thing is okay well we've recognized that fix it like what i just i guess that's my big thing it's like what is the hold that like we see that problem so why is there no solution like why is that not being fixed you know i, I yeah i was this is some again like these are questions i i'm always talking about as well or asking as well and i'm wondering um and again like i i feel like i'm ignorant to this topic but it's like why like do we need to do like a class action lawsuit like what is it that you have to do to get a conversation going because i think everyone's kind of like well yeah we we know that there's a problem but they're not doing anything about it no one's mm -hmm. saying they're complaining but no one's saying anything no one's like do and it's like do we need to file some kind like do i need to get a lawyer or something do i need to talk to the state like what is it that i have to do or that we have to do as a collective to make this more of a conversation because yes we have some news articles yes we have some you know things out there but nothing is being done mm -hmm. um and i think and i don't know is it because it's a does it have to like go through some kind of Bureaucracy. yearly yeah exactly like what what how many steps does it take to change these limits or to how you know with the fda um you know like what do we have to do to change that because you're correct like if we're looking at statistics from years prior i mean we're not going to catch up you know no. and we can't be doing this for another couple of years right and and like yeah, i heard on some interview i heard some one doctor say that it's like it's akin to like trying to prevent car accidents by putting a limit on how many cars can be manufactured it's right. kind of like it's just it doesn't make any like i i i to be honest like that whole notion even before there was an uptick in prescriptions seems kind of crazy to me it's like you know putting a limit on how many pills these pharmaceutical companies can manufacture <laughs> it just seems like there are limits on how many like obviously 
it's a controlled substance. You can only get a prescription filled, you know, once every 30 days or whatever, however your doctor writes, like there are limits in place. Putting the limit on the manufacturer for the number of pills just seems like a, a problem waiting to happen. Like, I'm surprised, honestly, that this hasn't happened before. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, mm. You know, you bring up such a point, and it's like, I, I don't, I don't even have an answer. Like, I don't even have an answer to that. <laughs> right, and that's that's a, and that's exactly where we are. And that, and that's kind of like, I guess that's kind of like the thing. I guess if we do leave people with anything, it's, it's, I mean, okay, I will say this. I think for a long time, like I said, I would run into intermittent situations where it's like, where it's like, you know, oh, it's on back order or, oh, it's on, you know, whatever. And I, it took a few days to find somewhere that wasn't like super, super, you know, common or catastrophic. But whenever that would happen, I never heard about it. Like I always, it was very kind of, I felt very kind of isolated and like it was my problem and I was dealing with it alone. If there's one good thing that's maybe come from this, I feel like it is getting national exposure. Um, if nothing yeah. like, because, you know, when I look up kind of just, if you just type in like Adderall shortage into Google and you Google news, like there are articles about it, like on NBC news and Forbes and wired, I mean, everything. And so it is getting coverage. It's just, I'm surprised the coverage, the coverage has been helpful in kind of just uh, helping people know that this is a problem that a lot of people are dealing with. And it is a real problem. I mean, like you heard on that recording, can't get out of bed. I mean, like that, that yeah. talk, I mean, if that's not going to affect someone's life, I don't know what, what is. And so I guess in like making people feel like they're not alone, like people are dealing with this. Um, across the country i guess my only frustration and hope is that it would spark some action you know like let's fix this so i don't know if that's a hopeful message <laughs> i mean i i hope it happens i hope but i think that we have to so i think one really big issue is that i don't think people understand the gravity of the situation because they don't understand what ADHD is and what mm -hmm. that means for a person. I think that we really need to go out there and educate people. And if, I mean, I, I just don't stop talking about it now at this point, but it's like, you know, it's more than just, oh, I lost focus, you know, or, oh, I'm kind of absent-minded or, oh, you know, it's more than that. It goes so much deeper than that. I mean, people are afraid of losing their jobs or they can't hold a job because they cannot function at work anymore or they're consistently, this is my biggest issue, I'm running late for everything all the time. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, the amount of accidents that a person can get into because of, you know, this. Um, it just goes like so much deeper than, I mean, even something as small as like, you know, becoming overstimulated that you're like picking at your face or picking at your hands or picking at your skin, you know, until you're like bleeding, right? These are like small examples of how a person can, uh, like just the things that we have to deal with. Um, and it, it can go from something like that to something way more difficult and understanding why ADHD is more than just, you know, what it was made out to be, I guess, in mm -hmm. like, 
the TV or whatever, you know, that oh, this person is just absent-minded. It's much more deeper. It's deep, it's deeper than that. It's much more serious than that. Um, understanding, like, how it really affects the person and why it's important that we have our medication. And then number two, um, that this medication is not a, like, a nasty, mean drug. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, right. it's, it is just medicine. It is, you know, like... Yes, there are people abusing it, but people abuse a lot of things, you know. People can abuse food, people can abuse sugar, coffee, whatever. People can over-exercise. You, you ever see those people that are, like, running, like, you know, to run from their problems? Like, they'll, like, work out, like, four hours a day instead of, like, dealing with their issues. Like, that's also bad, you know. Like, mm -hmm. there are things that you can do that are, you know, excessive, right? Like, we yeah. have alcohol, but you can have too much of alcohol, right? So what is, you can't say that someone's medication is bad because of the name or like, you know, you have a person that chooses to abuse it or something. You're going to have that for all across the board everywhere. Um, I don't, I don't know if it's like, maybe because it's, a, what is it like a schedule two or something like mm -hmm. that? I don't, I'm not even yeah. really sure what that even means. Like what, what does that even mean? Like, and does it have to be like, is that why we have so many restrictions on it? Because it's like, you yes. know, considered, you know, important. It's like, can we remove that? Can we make it more, you know? I mean, well, so like, I guess just the, the schedule two thing is just because it has like the kind of potential for abuse. But really what that means, like when they say that, that's really for people taking it unnecessarily. You know what exactly. I mean? Like so really what it comes down to it can stay scheduled to and there can stay you can keep restrictions on like how often you can fill it all that stuff that stuff's been right. in place forever and it's fine but but the manufacturing like limits are stupid right um yeah that's too much doctors should be more a little more discerning which i think is should have been a given and i think they are i think that because i know what you're talking about that one online did like um E virtual health thing. Like, I think they actually stopped writing prescriptions for Adderall, which, you know, better, I guess, better than nothing. Like, whatever, like, whatever has to be done, it gotta, we gotta move on it. Like, that, that's my, my big thing. It's like, let's, let's go. I mean, we're just waiting. We just, like, we've been waiting and waiting and waiting. And like, it's March. <laughs> it's mid March now. Like, it should be resolved, frankly. Whatever has to happen, they got to make it happen. Exactly. Or at least like more transparency at this point. Like you cannot continue to see things under the rug and say like, oh, it's just this. Like these are all games at this point. Mm -hmm. um, I think, you know, what's interesting to me too is that my my doctors don't know what's going on. Like mm -hmm. how are the pharmacists don't know what's going on. Um, that to me is insane. It's like, okay, it's one thing for maybe you know, a non-medical person or whatever who may, maybe they're not like too aware of the information, but how are, how are doctors who are prescribing this and using this to treat their patients? They don't know the full information. Like, why is it so, why is it so secret? I don't know if I would call it secretive or just, I, I, I don't even know what to call this. Like I've never run into this before. And mm -hmm. the thing is, is like, if you do it with one thing, there's potential to do this with something else. So 
they need to like resolve this now. They need to have like a new conversation about how they operate during these kind of things. Um, they need better systems in place for shortages because mm-hmm. if you do it with this, you're going to end up doing this with something else. Um, but Absolutely. I have, I don't, I'm hoping, I, I don't know. Like, I guess like a truly, I truly in my heart of hearts thought that March, like I, I thought March would be it. And after March, this would be resolved. The fact that it isn't, um, I kind of lost a little bit of hope. I I'm trying to, I, maybe I'm avoiding the emotions of it. Um, and because of that, I'm avoiding taking the medication just for like emergency purposes. But I truly could not say at this point a date that I think that this could get better because of just the lack of transparency at this point. Yeah, uh, totally. But, you know, it does help to know that, you know, people are in the struggle together, I guess. Um, Hopefully, you know, hopefully in a month from today, we're singing a totally different tune, but who knows? I think it's important to kind of, I do, I think it's important to just share people's stories and kind of, you know, remind people that the struggle is one that they're not going through totally alone. Yeah, I agree. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this. Um, What are you doing in terms of like, you know, we we hear like the ADHD hacks and everything. Are you doing anything specific to kind of help with your day-to-day routine? Well, so I was, I mean, you read about kind of, you know, coming up with talking to your doctor about some alternative, you know, uh, medication or, or some alternative treatments and stuff. Like I've, kind of avoided that what am i i mean ultimately my kind of strategy has just been to just relentlessly like you know contact the pharmacies and just keep doing it until i find one that has one it's been that has always been kind of my way of doing things um Mm -hmm. and and also just kind of take you know basically so i'm prescribed to take a certain number you know of pills a day or whatever and just like everybody you know i'm taking maybe half of that you know, breaking, right. breaking them in half and spreading them out and whatnot. You know, like I said, I got a week's worth, I think last Wednesday. So today's Friday or today's Thursday, like I'm already past the week. So I have, you know, some left. So it's just a matter of kind of stretching them out and just relentlessly emailing and calling and going to visit pharmacies until you find one. Um, it's not a great, I mean, like, honestly, it's not a great strategy, like, but it's what I've been doing. I, I don't, cause like, I don't want really to, you know, all that stuff about trying the different medications, you know, having been diagnosed for so long and been on, like, I've done all of that. Like I've tried all the different medications. That's how we landed on this one, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? So it's like, I don't know. So I guess I've just been kind of trying like avoiding that, but I, but I have been, you know, open to and looking for, okay. So if you take a, 20 milligram tablet usually let's find it maybe they have a 30 milligram and you can get half the amount or they can get five like just figuring out creative ways to make it work um Mm -hmm. that's really been it i mean like in terms of like in terms of you know like i've also been reading like okay well you know exercise and drink coffee like (laughs) like that's crazy like that's ridiculous like yeah that doesn't help. And it, no, I almost feel like after taking medication that really does help, you know, taking some herbal focus factor or whatever, 
is just, I mean, come on. Like, I don't know if that would ever have really helped, but it's certainly not going to help after you've taken actual medicine. <laughs> well, it never helped me all these years that I was yeah. trying to figure it out. So I can tell you that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I can tell you that right now. I think like for me at this point, I just, I gave up on like, for example, um, like dishes. Mm-hmm. Like I just don't have the, I, I just, I can't do it. So I bought, um, I bought like biodegradable disposable like plates and cutlery just to like cut down on the time spent doing more tasks that I can't handle. So it's like uh, I'm having to, you know, do things like that. And I feel, I don't know how I feel about it. Um, You know, like buying like pre-cut food, for example, too, because like I know I'm not going to want to cook if I have to cut all those vegetables, you know. Um, Or, yeah, I don't know. It's just, it's just, and I still struggle. Like, I'm not going to lie. Like, I'm, it's been, oh, God, I, I don't feel, it, it is weird. It's like you have like a shame too. Like, I'll get up in the morning and I look around and I'm like, oh my God, I have so much to do. And I've been saying I'm going to do this for like two weeks now and I have yet to do it. Yeah. And it's just like, you get this, like weird guilt and shame for it. Um, But I'm just trying to, I guess, cut down on the side quests, I guess you could say, by just replacing them with, instant things um well no, that's probably makes- smart i mean like because honestly like you know coming up with stuff like that i like i probably on the other end like it's probably not good to just focus so you know like narrowly and specifically on like i will get that medication <laughs> like like finding <laughs> you know what i mean like it's probably good to come up with kind of like little workarounds or just ways to help like it's just it's just so hard after taking for so long it's just so hard to like deal with that crap. And it's like, and it's the dread of having to think about that stuff. It's like, I, I don't know. I don't know. It's almost like it does get me thinking. Sometimes I do get thinking to myself, like, is this even, I mean, like, I don't know. I don't, don't want to say, is this even worth it? Like, like if I had never, ever taken it to begin with and I just had to learn to be kind of, you know, uh, like, just really ADHD or whatever. Like, I don't know. It, school was certainly a huge struggle for in that regard, but like, I don't know. Cause I, I, I'm so it's exhausting. It's exhausting thinking about it so much is exhausting yeah. worrying about it. Well, I can tell you as a person who went like, um, like my entire childhood and young adult life without the medication. Um, and I just try to do everything to make my life as like, you know, functional as possible uh it was absolutely chaotic and when i say like how bad it was i didn't understand how bad it was until after the medication like i could confidently say that the level of depression that i had um from just not being able to do basic things like it would take me hours to do one task and i know that for other people would take them 15 minutes and i couldn't understand why and i was like why is this so hard for me and it's like well maybe it's because i'm like super lazy or maybe i'm just like stupid and i don't understand um and the negative self-talk that you develop because you don't understand what's wrong um, is 
super detrimental. I mean, I'm still like, I mean, I'm working on it. And I've gotten 10 times better because again, like I, and I have to give so much credit to my, to my therapist and stuff. Um, but again, none of those things would have happened if I wasn't diagnosed. Like if you let me live an entire lifetime without that medication, without that diagnosis, like I could tell you, I would not be where I am today. I would, you know, I was being held back so much. I did not live a fulfilled life. Um, I lived a very like, you know, I, I sold, I sold myself short, you know, like really short because I just knew I couldn't manage. I would not take more, I would not take more responsibilities at work, for example, because I knew I couldn't do it. Um, even if I wanted to, if every fiber of being wanted to, same with school, like I want it, like I'm still an undergrad. It's taken me, like I ended up dropping out of school originally and I went back to school and I could only take two classes a semester. So I'm in my 30s, I'm 31, and I'm still an undergrad because I could not do a full schedule um, and, and and actually make decent grades, you know, because I knew I couldn't study for those classes without, you know, this is before medication. Right. Now I'm like on medication, oh my God, like, like it was completely different. Like I, I, I love school and I love to study, but I went from taking eight hours to read one chapter to just reading the chapter, you know, in mm-hmm, one right. hour. And it was like massive difference. Um, and actually retaining the information I just read and like, con- like making a phone call, for example, I could not make a phone call because it would take so much time. All my bills are on auto pay because I've had my bills shut off so many times from like forgetting to pay. So now everything's just on auto pay. It's like, things like that, like you live in chaos, like absolute chaos, you know, mm-hmm. and you can't understand like why. So, uh, you know, the idea of like, oh, well, how could I have lived like without medication? You know, I have to say, I wish I was diagnosed early. Mm-hmm. I wish with every fiber of my being that I was given this information when I was young. I wish that I had medication when I was young and I would have saved myself an entire like so far of my lifetime, you know, of pain and suffering and like this, it's almost like a self-loathing, right? Because I, it's like, it's like having a car full of gas, but then like the, the battery is dead, you know, you Mm -hmm. can't turn it on. Everything, everything is there for the potential. The drive is there. The passion is there. The interest is there but something's just not working and I can't do basic stuff. And it's like, how do you understand that? You know how, and now I do and Now I know why, like, it's like, Oh, okay. Like the role of dopamine and the role of your frontal cortex and like how that affects, you know, you know, it even affects like your speech, for example, like, you know, forgetting your words or stuttering. Like I had these little issues, like they weren't super prominent, but you know, you would just, you were just like, it's like, oh, that makes sense why I did that. Or that makes sense why that happens, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and it's like, it's just, I would have to say like, you know, as somebody who started this journey later on in life, uh, I don't think that, you know, being off of the medication or being off of anything like it was helpful. I think if anything, knowing what is going on, knowing why the medication works and how to find ways to work around your brain and your neurotransmitters, like understanding the role of why that medication does what it does. And then like, okay, well, I know for like, for example, I'll give an example, like, okay, if your medication is helping with dopamine, right, then if I don't have medication, 
then I know that I'm, I have a limited supply of whatever dopamine I have. Right. So Mm -hmm. maybe when I wake up in the morning, I'm not going to waste it by going on social media and scrolling because then you end up in that doom scroll. Right. And you're, Mm -hmm. and then after I finish that, I'm absolutely exhausted and depleted and I don't have anything left to do my basic tasks. So understanding like the role of medication and why it does what it does. And then like going backwards a little bit and saying, okay, well, if I don't have it, then this is what's going to happen because of this biological situation, whatever. And then, you know, making, making a, a, a routine. And again, this is like hard, easier said than done, right? Making a routine that, you know, is, kind of a little bit more patient with yourself because you're now developing a new relationship with your brain that you thought was like everybody else's. Mm -hmm. So I think that, I think that like being diagnosed young is a wonderful thing. And um, again, until like this medication shortage ends, um, I think that, I don't know, I guess maybe working a little bit backwards could kind of help Mm -hmm. finding shortcuts, but I would not say that living without it was helpful. I could tell you that right now living with it, even one year on that medication has completely changed how I understand myself and why I do the things that I do. Well, no, yeah, totally. I, you know, you're right. But I guess it's just in these times of these times of struggle, I guess it's easy to kind of ask, ask those questions, but I do so appreciate you kind of taking the time to share your story and kind of just spread awareness really. And hopefully, hopefully in a month, um, certainly too, we're looking back on this as just kind of a dark period that is in the past. (laughs) Yes. We'll have a name for it. I'm sure we'll all come up with like an era of darkness. Well, and hopefully it's a, you know, an era that they can look back on and learn from and not repeat. Let's, I mean, seriously, that's my hope. (laughs) yeah i hope that this does change and like it creates a better you know for everyone and raise awareness for what is adhd and the medication and you know destigmatize it as well all right folks that was my guest snirjana kastarnova talking with me in depth about the ongoing frustrating and really becoming ever more critical Adderall shortage here in America. If you enjoy this show, please remember to subscribe and rate us on iTunes, oh, oh, Apple Podcasts, or whatever it's called. We're also available on Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, TuneIn, basically wherever podcasts are found. If you can find podcasts there, you can find us there. Follow us on Twitter. We're at NextBestRadio. That's at NextBestRadio. And of course, feel free to follow me. I'm at J-O-N-B as in boy, L-E-R-N-E-R. That's J-O-N, no H. B as in boy, L-E-R-N-E-R. That's my handle on Twitter, Instagram, all that fun stuff. So, folks, as I say at the end of every show, and I mean it more and more each week, apathy is the enemy. Truly, more than anything else in the entire world, Apathy is the real enemy. Know what's going on in your community. Know what's going on in the world. Watch the paper, read the paper, watch the news, have an opinion, take some action, and maybe even make a change. For Radio Free Brooklyn, this has been the next best thing. Until next week, I'm Jonathan B. Lerner. Good night. You little bitch!